0: We thank you, God, that all of these things are true. We thank you that we're not living in a world that's random and chaotic, though it may seem that way at times. But we're living in a world that is governed by the good pleasure of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all things are being carried to a good conclusion, even our lives. So this morning we pray that as we open the scriptures, as we hear them, taught and read, that they'd go into our hearts, that they'd become part of who we are, that you'd remind us of our place in the world and who you've called us to be, what you've called us to be. Come, we pray. Spirit, even now, rush in among us. Open our hearts. Open our imaginations. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Help us be open. To the kingdom of God that's rushing upon us even now, come. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. It is good to see you this morning, New Life East, if this is your first time with us. Uh, My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here And it's a joy to have you with us. Uh, We have missed you guys this summer. A lot of travel for the Yarn family. I was covering preaching up at New Life North a bunch. And uh, I just got to say I'm so grateful for the team uh, that we have here at New Life East. Give it up for Pastor Colin and Pastor Rory holding down the floor preaching this summer. And... uh, so I'm in Tulsa again. Some of you sometimes ask. You go, okay, Andrew, can you let us know like where you're going to be and when? Because we get a little bit anxious. So this is me like helping diffuse your anxiousness. Next weekend, I'm going to be in Tulsa preaching at a friend's church. A guy by the name of John Odom, great pastor. Planted a church there about five years ago. The church is just doing so well. So he invited me to come out and speak. So I'm there next weekend. And Rory Green is going to be talking to us out of Nehemiah too. Give it up for Rory one more time. Just make him feel loved and accepted. So beautiful. And then the weekend after that, I'll be preaching New Life North again, uh, Labor Day weekend. And we will have uh, Pastor Jay Duncan of New Life Midtown is going to be here. It's going to be a great Sunday. And then after that, I'm ripping off a whole bunch of Sundays with you. I've got a couple others that I'm out, but we're going to have a great fall together. Please do uh, show up for all of these things that we're talking about. If you're new or newer to the community, coming out to New Life Next it's a great space. Um, it's really a space where we talk about not just what it means to belong to New Life Church, but what it means to belong to the church in general. What does it mean for us to say yes to God's people? Uh, the retreats are going to be amazing retreats. They're not just like hangout spaces, but they're equipping spaces, spiritual formation and counter spaces are going to be great. And then fall launch Sunday, we just got some special things dialed up for you that are going to be so much fun. So mark in your calendars, uh, September 11th is going to be a great Sunday morning. We're in the book of Nehemiah. This morning across all New Life congregations, we are preaching and teaching through the book of Nehemiah over the next six weeks or so. And then after that, we will be in the book of 1 Timothy, uh, Paul's epistle, his letter to his young protege Timothy, which will take us right up to Advent and, uh, and then Christmas will be upon us. And, but let's not get too far ahead because I am really sad about the end of summer here. I'm going to just cry here for a second, actually. Okay, Nehemiah chapter 1. And verse one, if you don't know where Nehemiah is in your Bible, just go to the Psalms and just hang a sharp left and go until you get the ends, and then you'll be right there. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, Those who are, have survived the exile are back in the province, they're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, Nehemiah says, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the prayer that your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Now I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, Have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. So remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying that if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. So, Lord, Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. And give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Uh, This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said. Thanks be to God. All good stories start with good opening lines that yank you into the action right away. We're going to go back to our English lit class for a second here. Talk about great opening lines. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. You know that one. Who is that? Charles Dickens. Not rhetorical. Need you to talk to me. Charles Dickens. And the book is? Tale of Two Cities. Well done, class. So going a little bit further back in Western civilization, you might remember this one from your English lit class. Muse, tell me of the man of many wiles. The man who walked many paths of exile after he sacked Troy's sacred citadel. Do you know that one? Bonus points if you do. Homer! I think Rory saw my notes is what happened here. That's the Odyssey. Great opening lines. Maybe a little bit closer to our own time. There once was a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. (laughs) Do you know this one? Yes! Voyage of the Dawn Treader. So good. He almost deserved it. That is just the turn of phrase. It was beautiful. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of 4, number 4 Privet Drive, were proud to say that they were very normal people. Thank you very much. Do we know that one? Harry Potter. Now Rory told me about that, so I don't, but I wouldn't know any of that personally. But the great opening lines, what do they do? They pique your interest, and they yank you into the action right away, and they're not it's not a lot of elaborate explanation about this, that, or the other thing. It's just to put you in it, and now all of a sudden we're asking questions about these two cities, and we're asking questions about this man of many wiles who wandered the paths of exile. I want to know about that, and I want to know about this kid used as Clarence Scrub who quite nearly deserved this awful name that he'd been given. And I want to know about the Dursleys and their supposedly normal lives and what's about to happen. It does that. Great stories do that. And the book of Nehemiah is no different. I think that Nehemiah is this epic tale. And it throws you into the action right away. Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, the citadel of Susa. Han and I, my brothers, and I question them about the Jewish remnants that had survived the exile and all of that. Great trouble and disgrace and weeping right from the get-go, all of a sudden we're asking questions about where are we and what's going on and we're trying to orient ourselves into it. So let me just give you a little context for the Nehemiah and narrate the story with some numbers here. I want to give you the first number here of 586, that is 586 B.C. Anybody know what happened in 586 B.C.? After many generations of rebellion and wickedness, the wrath of God had built up against the people of God and the Babylonian army came in in 586 B.C., And they sacked the city of Jerusalem, tore the wall down, burned the temple down, and they exported. They took tens of thousands of uh, Jerusalem uh, citizens and they, what's the word that I'm looking for? It's not exported, it's not exported, deported. Thank you very much. They deported them to Babylon and all of a sudden this city of Jerusalem, which had been this jewel, this promise of God, now has been laid waste and all the promises all of a sudden seem to be of no effect. And the people of God for many, many decades, they're wondering what is it going to look like for us to come back to the the land? And so we get this next number here, about 130 years later, this is 458 BC. And it's a pagan king, Cyrus the Persian, that somehow the Lord puts in his heart this desire to see the city of Jerusalem rebuilt. And so he issues an edict and he raises resources and he pulls the people together. And he says, that city over there, that's to be a city that belongs to Yahweh God. So head back there. I'm opening up the treasure house. Everything that you need to start putting the city back together again, you got it, man. Start putting it back together again. And there, in the midst of that, the promises of the prophets that the city would be rebuilt, all of a sudden they start going into motion. And the city begins to be rebuilt. And we read about this in the book of Ezra, which comes right before Nehemiah, that Ezra is one of the folks, one of the leaders that's back in Jerusalem, and they're relaying the foundation of the temple, and they're starting to rebuild the walls, and there's great joy in the city. But what quickly happens is that the people of God start facing resistance. They've got these nations around them that all of a sudden start throwing up resistance, and at some point along the way, somebody spoils the reputation of the people of God, and a new king in power, Artaxerxes, decides that the work in Jerusalem needs to stop And so here are the promises, like within striking distance of the fulfillment of the prophetic promises. All of a sudden, everything is like stopped. And so we come to this moment here, next number, 445 BC, where Nehemiah begins to ask questions about these folks that had come back to Jerusalem about what's going on. And he hears the news about what's happening there and something begins to stir in his heart. So we're in the middle of this moment when Jerusalem was starting to come back together, but like not quite. It stalled out. One more number for you just to put the moment here in context. Nehemiah, whose name means Yahweh Comforts, is living a thousand miles away from the city of Jerusalem. So think about this. Here's a kid that is born and raised under the thumb of a pagan empire a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. He'd never been there. He's never seen it. He's only heard things, then read the scriptures, and he knows the stories, but he's never seen it with his own eyes. And a thousand miles for us is nothing, right? We hop on a plane and cover a thousand miles like that. You can cover a thousand miles in about 14 hours or so of driving. I know this because my parents live in Wisconsin, and we make that drive way too much. But just like that. But in the ancient world, a thousand miles is an eternity away, and yet something is stirring in this kid that has never been there, but he knows. Stories And the scripture says, he says right at the end of Nehemiah 1 here, that he was a cupbearer to the king. Everybody say cupbearer to the king. Now that may not mean a lot to you. You think about cupbearer to the king. What does that sound like? It sounds like a guy who basically just serves the king wine and all of the officials wine so that they can stay moderately drunk on a job that might be a hard job too. you know, I don't know. What's a cupbearer? A cupbearer cup is basically like the server of the court, but that's not the case. The Greek historian Herodotus says this, that the cupbearer's office was highly esteemed among the Persian people. The wine steward was a man of recognized dignity in court circles, entirely trustworthy, the king's confidant, and next in rank to privilege. Guys, Nehemiah is a man of great privilege. And he's serving King Artaxerxes who gave the word that the work in Jerusalem needed to halt. And because of whatever's going on inside of his own heart, Nehemiah decides to stand up and he's about to make an appeal and an entreaty to King Artaxerxes to get him to start the work again. It's a big moment for this guy. So I love that's like the context for the story. But here's what I want you to pay attention to this morning is where the whole thing begins for Nehemiah. If you got your Bibles open, I want you to look back down one more time at chapter one and verse four. The scripture says, when I heard these things, I sat down and, what does the text say? Wept. Nehemiah is cut to the heart by what's happening back in Jerusalem. He doesn't just hear the report and kind of do some cogitations, a little movement of the mind, a cold kind of intellectual assessment of what's going on in Jerusalem, and then make cold intellectual decisions on the basis of it. That doesn't happen in this chapter. What happens is he sits down and he weeps. Something grips him in the soul. And it awakens his own engagement with the call of God on his life. I want to ask you this question this morning. Are you allowing yourself, just to focus our minds here, are you allowing yourself to feel strong feelings? Because this story starts with the emotional life of this man who's living in this pagan empire Are you allowing yourself to feel strong feelings? Because those feelings, in some way, are the very beginning of our engagement with the call of God. Two Sundays ago, deputy in our city here, Deputy Andrew Peary, was killed in the line of duty. Some some of you may know this story. And we gathered together with thousands of people from across the state just this past Monday at New Life North, our main campus. Opened up the building. I had all kinds of police officers from across the state and folks that loved the Peary family and knew this story. Thousands of people were in there. And I walked in eleven AM on Monday morning. And I know when I'm getting ready to walk into that space, that I'm walking into an emotional space. And I walked in and they had that whole unit there that plays the bagpipes. And they're walking in and they're playing the bagpipes. And Andrew Peary's widow and his two teenage kids are walking in. And as they're walking in, man, I just felt it here. Because I got teenage kids and I'm thinking about all of a sudden, I'm thinking about what it would be like for my kids to grow up without their dad at one of the most vulnerable times of their life. And I'm watching this happen and I'm thinking about these kids and I'm thinking about that woman and tears start streaming down my face. And we go in for the actual service and we sit down and words are being shared. And Sheriff Elder gets up oversees all the police here in Colorado Springs. Sheriff Elder gets up and he begins to share from his heart what he sees and what he knew about Andrew Peary and what he loved about Andrew Peary. And then he begins to talk to the family, to Andrew's wife, to the kids. And he says, I want you to know something. You may have lost your husband and your dad, but today you've gained thousands of family members. Whatever you need, whenever you're in trouble, whatever situations your family, like we're gonna be there for you. You've gained us. I'm watching that and my heart is so moved by that. And then some of his comrades and his brother got up and shared. And Andrew Peary was, served in our armed forces. He was in the army for many years. Decorated army veteran before he got into law enforcement. And became decorated as a, as a police officer, a deputy. And his guys got up and they shared about him and talked about the kind of man that he was. And how self-sacrificing he was and what he would have done for them. And they, all of these vignettes about his life. And again, I'm so moved. And then, if you ever been in one of these services, they play the end of watch dispatch, calling his number one last time, and the person who was doing the dispatch said, God is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I just like wept in that service. Like, oh. And Colin and I walked out together. We had a lunch that we were going to. And I remarked to Colin on the way out, like, oh, this movement that's going on in my spirit. And I said to him, I said, man, that messed me up in all of the right ways. Because all of a sudden, on a Monday morning, I'm in the middle of this space that's awakening these emotions that are powerful indicators of the right way to live. But I've got all these emotions that are stirring in me about friendship and valor and courage and sacrifice. And now I'm not just thinking about Andrew Peary, but I'm thinking about my own life and I'm assessing the decisions of my life based on this thing. It's awakening. The emotions are doing something in me. I'm saying to you this morning that our emotions are a gift from God. And they're part of the very image of God in us. They're part of how God writes the divine nature into our very frame. And the trouble with us is that for many of us, and in many of the great streams of Christianity, there is this kind of atmosphere of suspicion around our emotions and around our powerful feelings. When you read some of the ancient literature of the church, there is this, well, again, it's an atmosphere of suspicion, They'll see that the powerful emotions that we feel can sometimes lead us astray. And so there's this counsel that starts to grow up. That if you want to be a really mature Christian, that the very mature Christian is a Christian who's dispassionate in some way, or detached from their emotions in some way. That we don't want to just be kind of ruled by what's going on in here, but we want a cold intellectual approach to our lives, that we're rational beings. And so we need to just think everything through. And all of that stuff that you feel over there, that's the devil's playground over there. The emotions are the arena of the evil one. But the intellect is the realm of the divine. You see this everywhere. And what I want to say to you this morning is that that council, wherever and whenever that council comes to us, that is more Buddhist than it is Christian. That is it's more stoic than it is Christian. Because when you read these scriptures, the one conclusion you cannot draw about God and about how God designs human beings to be, is that emotion is not part of the picture. When we think about the divine being itself, God Almighty, and you read the pages of the sacred text, the one thing that you don't see about God in the text is a dispassionate deity. You just never see God kind of sitting up in the clouds and I made things down there and I can see that there's trouble and distress and joy and beauty and all that, but I cannot be moved by any of those things because I am the deity detached, remote. You don't see that. When you read about our God in the scriptures, what you see of him is that this is a God who feels joy powerfully. Out of 10, the highest that you can imagine, any being anywhere experiencing joy and delight, our God experiences that all the time. When you think about the emotion of love, passion, right? You see God, that's in God all the time that is happening. Or even emotions like frustration and anger, you see that all the time in God. Or compassion and ache for other people. Everywhere in the scriptures, you're seeing that. You just never see this sterile deity up in the clouds, that you see a deity that is highly involved, that he's moved by all of the things that are happening on planet Earth. And the other picture that you see in the scriptures is that when human beings get tangled up with this specific God who experiences these emotions at the highest that they can possibly be experienced all the time, do you know what happens to those human beings? They also experience those emotions. That somehow being touched by the heart of God does something to the human heart. The great rabbi of the 20th century, Abraham Joshua Heschel, said it this way. He said that the prophet is a man who feels fiercely God has thrust a burden on his soul. Friends, to come into proximity with His deity is not to have our emotions squelched or denied or suppressed, but it's to have our emotions awakened for the best things that happen on planet Earth. I would put it this way, that when the, num- uh, when the numbness of our hearts is pierced, divine history goes into motion again. The moment that human beings are touched by the things that touch the heart of God, all of a sudden you start seeing sacred history going into motion. Think about my friends Cedric and Stephanie Logan, friends of ours from Denver. We pastored in Denver for a number of years. And I love Cedric and Stephanie Logan. These folks were passionate folks, godly folks. They were a man and woman of great prayer. And I just loved them. Sensitive to the spirit, always willing to do whatever God was leading them to do. And I remember we hadn't seen them in a while. They were house church leaders with us up there. And I hadn't seen them in a while, just travel and stuff. And I started talking to my staff and the staff said, yeah. They said, Cedric and Stephanie, you know, they're getting ready to adopt a kid or two from Africa. And I said, from Africa? They had two biological kids at the time. I said, are you serious? They said, yeah. I said, that's wild. I wonder if this is some like desire or dream that's been in their heart for years and years. And I just never knew about it. You know, I need to get some time with them. So Mandy and I scheduled a time to sit down with Cedric and Stephanie, hear about what was going on in their hearts. We went over to their house, and caught up with them for a little bit and I'm just dying to ask about Africa, you know? And I said to them, I go, guys, you gotta tell me about this whole Africa thing, adopting a kid from wherever, at Niger is where they were adopting. So I said, you gotta tell me about that whole thing. Is this something that's been on your heart for years and years and years and now finally like you're putting it in motion? And Cedric who had a great sense of humor goes, oh yeah, it's been on our heart for like weeks. I said, what? And Stephanie goes, yeah, I was, she goes, I was praying one morning. Decided to block out a day just to pray, lay myself before the Lord and seek the heart of God. And she said, I started crying out to the Lord and I found myself gripped with this passion for like all of the kids of the world that are not being taken care of. You know, malnourished, abused, inadequate shelter. I mean, you name it. Like it all just like hit me. She said, and so I'm there and I'm laying in the presence of God and I'm weeping and I'm crying out. and I'm saying, God, in the scripture, you show yourself to be the one who covers and defends widows and orphans in their distress. Would you please rise up on behalf of all these kids who don't have people to defend them or look out for them. Rise up on their behalf and take good care of them and send people. Oh, God. To help them and to leverage their resources for their good. She said, I'm crying out to God. She said, and I heard the voice of God as clear as a bell. How about you? She said, and I knew it was the voice of the Holy Spirit because I'd never thought about it before. It just hit me. Yeah, what about me? She said, so I got on the phone with Cedric. Cedric, what do you think? I've been in prayer, and all of a sudden God has gripped me. And what do you think about that? Should we do it? And Cedric goes, Oh, yeah, we absolutely should do it. So we started the process. And within a year and a half, they had adopted two kids, special needs kids from Niger, they leveraged all of their resources like exhausted their bank accounts to make sure these kids got the help that they, that they needed. And I remember going over to their house as the years passed by and they're raising up these kids and these kids that had been languishing in these, some orphanage in Niger, all of a sudden there's a smile on their face and brightness on their countenance. Their humanity was being restored. Why? because somebody was cut to the heart about it. It wasn't this cold intellectual approach. Stephanie, you know, just kind of reading statistics about the children of the world and then going, "Well, I think that we should do that," right? It's like a tearing apart of the heart that connects her into the call of God and brings their lives into a space of significance that it maybe wouldn't have had otherwise. The heart of God touches our heart in that way. That's how sacred history goes into motion. I think about the church that we're in, friends. The trauma that this church had been through 17 or so years ago. Moral failure by our founding pastor here at New Life Church. Just craziness everywhere. And a week from now, we'll be celebrating the 15-year anniversary of our senior pastor, Brady Boyd, and his wife, Pam, and their pastorate here. And Brady will tell you that when he first heard the story of what was going on in New Life Church, he was serving as an associate pastor at a big church down in Texas. And he doesn't know anybody at New Life Church, doesn't know anybody in Colorado Springs. There's no connection with this whatsoever. He said, but when I heard the story of all the trouble that New Life Church had been in, he said, I just wept and I wept and I wept and I didn't know anybody there. But all of a sudden I'm sliced open in my heart about what's going on there. And so six months later, I start candidating for the job There And he said, and I came out here and I preached at New Life Church and spent a weekend with the elders trying to figure out if this would be a good fit for us. He said, and then I went to that. I was over at the Hilton off of Briargate and I started reading the book of Nehemiah. And I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit clearly say to me, this is the place that you're supposed to be. And in the same way that the walls of Jerusalem were torn down and the temple was laid to waste, you're going to come back and you're going to help rebuild the walls. And you're going to help restore worship and joy in this place. Friends, 15 years later,
1: here we are.
0: The thousands and thousands and thousands of lives that have been impacted by that moment. But what does that moment hinge on? When I heard about what was going on in Jerusalem, Nehemiah says, I sat down and I wept. I was cut to the heart. Ezekiel before the book of Nehemiah is ever written, is looking ahead to the future. And the Lord says on the lips of the prophet Ezekiel, he says that I will give you a new what? A new heart. Like what's it gonna look like for divine history to go into motion? What's it gonna look like for the people of God to come back and start stepping into the future? I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of And I will give you a heart of flesh. What's the first activity of the spirit in the human life? God removes the calluses from our hearts. He removes the numbness from our hearts. And he gets us to feel again. We're sensitive again to God and we're sensitive again to what's going on around us. The people that are around us. The people that we're connected to. What's happening in our world. He gives us fleshy hearts again. That's how divine history goes into motion. And I think that there are things that prevent us from stepping in to the heart of flesh. There are things that cause our hearts to be calloused. I'll name a few of them here. Maybe you fit the description here this morning. Number one. I think the thing that gives us, that often leads to cold hearts, callous hearts, dispassionate hearts, is just as we've said, bad teaching. That somewhere along the line, we were told that emotions are not to be trusted. That's what go, what's going on in our spirit, our bodies, anger, joy, love, frustration. All that stuff is of the devil and we need to leave all of that behind and we need to become more intellectual in our approach. All that stuff is not to be trusted, it's not of God. And, If that's you this morning, I want to say to you that your emotions are a gift from God. They're not telling you everything that you need to know, but they're not telling you nothing either. Listen to that. Number one, bad teaching. Number two, I think the other thing that causes our hearts to shut down is that we have been hurt. That we know what it's like to feel big feelings. We know what it's like to have large emotions. But somewhere along the line, when we expose ourselves in those emotions... We were criticized or critiqued or something happened to us that caused the heart to close down. And then we wind up living in this state of calculated numbness so that that doesn't happen to us ever again. And if that's you this morning, I am so sorry that you were hurt. And I also want to say to you this morning that you can do something about it. You can go to counseling and you can go to therapy and you can start talking with people. You can start processing through the hurt of your heart. And I promise you, I promise you that the spirit will restore an emotional flow back to your own heart. And so it's bad teaching and it's hurt, but I think that sometimes the thing that causes our hearts to shut down is that we're just distracted. We are living in an age where this device is killing our capacity to feel deep emotions. And so we open this thing and we start scrolling through the newsfeed and we'll have a moment where we go, dear God, 400 people have just died in the Ukraine again. Oh, scroll,
1: brownies,
0: (laughs) puppies ooh, the Broncos made a really significant move, right? And we just, our attention darting back and forth between the great things of our lives that we ought to be paying attention to and entering into and a constant stream 24-7, 365 inanity, trivia. And so those things that should penetrate our spirits Never actually get there. Think about what happens with Nehemiah. The brothers come back from Jerusalem and here's the report. And the scripture says that when I heard how everybody was doing over there, what does Nehemiah do? The scripture says, I sat down. Oh, wait, what's going on? I heard that we were putting the city back together again. You're saying it's not happening. You're saying that we had the promises were right there. They were so close that we could have greeted them with our own arms. You're saying that they're slipping through our fingers. What is happening? And it doesn't just say that he sits down and he weeps. Oh, okay. Move on. But he says, I mourned and I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. He caused his own life to come to a standstill so that he could feel the things that he needed to feel, so that he could do the things that needed to be done. Friends, I'm asking you, are you doing that ever? Do you have moments where, when the big news comes your way, the big emotion is being felt, that you're stopping As you're feeling it, you're letting it do what it needs to do in you. Distraction is a killer. And it's one of those things that severs us from the purposes of God. It severs us from the call of God because we're distracted by trivia. And number four, I'll just say this, that we give our love to the wrong things. That because we've given our love to ego and because we've given our love to ambition and because we've given our love to sex and to pleasure and To all of these things that we ought not be giving our love to, our hearts are diminished in some way. And so we're not feeling the things that we ought to feel. And so the question for us is not just are we feeling the big feelings, but the question is what do we do with the strong feelings when we feel them and when we have them? What do we do with them? Because there's lots of things that we can do with them. You have a moment where you're gripped with passion for this. You have a moment where anger grips you. About what's going on in your country or going on in your family or going on in your marriage or going on in your community. What do you do with that? And Nehemiah, I think, gives us the model for it. That he doesn't just sit down and weep and he doesn't just fast and he doesn't just mourn. But the scripture says that he prays to the God of heaven. Did you notice that? That what he does with the emotion is he puts the emotion inside the presence of God. It goes somewhere. And he recounts the promises of God. God, remember who you are. Remember how you've called us to live. Remember what you said about your people. Remember your promises, oh God. But he doesn't just call God into the promises. Do you know what he also does? He repents. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Don't you see we're in this great trouble and disgrace, but a lot of it is because of all the things that we have done. And I'm not exempt from that, oh God, so I lay my heart and I lay my life before you. He begins to work through his emotions in the presence of God in a way that matches his identity as a member of the people of God. And then he offers himself up to the Lord. Here I am, oh God. Grant me favor today. Like I'm willing for you to use me however you need to use me. Here it is. Guys, one of the things that is spoiling the world that we live in right now is that people are feeling great emotions. We see it everywhere in our culture. We see it in the church. Powerful emotions. Powerful emotions love and pity and rage and joy and passion and anger and all of that, but the problem is that we're not processing it in the presence of God. And so we're popping off with rage and we're popping off with vengeance or we're drawing lines in the sand where we shouldn't or we're undertaking human projects to try to fix our marriage and fix our family and we never did the thing that Nehemiah shows us. We never humble ourselves before God. We never seek out the mind of God. We never allow the emotions to go where they need to go so that they're transformed to become what they need to be. Powerful emotions metabolized in the presence of God. They motivate faithful action. And it's not until they're transformed in the presence of God that we get inside the call of God in our lives. So I want to do something with you this morning. I want to invite you to stand As we prepare our hearts for communion. And I want you this morning just to begin to think about the places where you right now, you're carrying powerful emotion. You're carrying strong emotion. You close your eyes and just make this a moment of examination. Some of you are carrying powerful emotion for your marriage. And you're frustrated with how things are going and you're looking at the landscape of your marriage and you're going, this is not God's design and it's got to be different. Hold that emotion. Some of you are carrying powerful emotion this morning about your children. You're concerned about them and you care about them. It's keeping you up at night and you're weeping over them. Carry that emotion. I want you to think about the friends that you've got, the relationships that you have. Some of you are carrying powerful emotion. You're intercessors for the church. You care about the church You see what's going on in the church and it cuts you to the soul. Some of you this morning are carrying strong emotion for our country. And you see what's happening and it disturbs you, distresses you. I want you now to hold all of that up in the presence of God. And I also want you, there might be that you're a person this morning that you just got, there's numbness in your heart, coldness in your heart. Somehow you've been severed from your emotional life. And I want you to hold that up as well. Here it all is, God. Here it all is. We're praying now by your spirit that you would transform all of that that we're experiencing. We're praying that you would lead us into the presence of God. That you'd help us experiencing these things. You'd help us experience these things in a way that leads us into faithful action. So I'm saying, come, oh God, humble us. Renew us. Restore us. Speak to us. Help us. know how you're calling us to be and what you're calling us to do. And wherever our hearts have grown cold and dead, I'm praying by the power of your spirit, wake them back up again. May there be a flood, a rush of the spirit of God in us that puts us back in touch with the heart of God. Come, we pray. Let's respond in worship here.
1: Make it clean Open up my eyes To the things I've seen Show me how to love like you Have loved me Break my heart for what breaks your Everything I am for your kingdom's cause, as I walk from birth into eternity so then again heal my heart Won't you hear
2: You know, when we, um, when we stuff things down, when we suppress what's going on out of hurt or whatever it is, sometimes it's, we do that out of protection, but then one of the things that um, unearths it is when we have to confess when we acknowledge that there's something going on inside of us. Sometimes there's a story that we build up that we tell ourselves and tell other people and we stop seeing what's going on in our heart. We stop seeing what's keeping us from God. And so we come into the presence with a heart of confession and a heart of humility. Psalm says to search my heart, O God, and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So we come into the presence of God with a heart of humility. Would you pray this with me? Most merciful God, to the glory of your name, amen. Scripture says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is faithful and just to forgive you from all for all unrighteousness. And so if you've called upon the name of the Lord, scripture says you shall be saved, then this gift is for you. This table is for you if you have called on the name of the Lord. God, thank you for your forgiveness. God, would you renew a right spirit within us God, would you help us to just do business with the hard things in our souls, Jesus? Would you provide healing where there needs to be healing? Thank you for welcoming us to the table. The Lord Jesus, on the night that you was betrayed after he had given thanks, God, we do thank you. He took bread and he broke it. Would you break that wafer in your hand? This is the body of Christ who is broken for you. Would you receive his gift? In the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this is the cup of salvation which was poured out for you would you receive the cup let's continue to worship this morning
1: open up show me how to love like you have loved me break my arm for a break yours. everything i am Won't you break my heart before I break your
0: Sing the doxology together. You let these lift your hands like this and receive this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May he give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. In every way, may he remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. A heart that can be touched and wounded, a vulnerable heart, an open heart, open to the pain of the world, open to the stories around you, open to what's happening, and a heart that's willing to go where he calls you. May it be yours. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you. If you need prayer for anything this morning, our altar ministry team is standing at the sides of our auditorium here. New Life East, it's so good to see you again. Love seeing your faces. Trying to think if there's anything else I need to say. Oh man. Okay. Well, enjoy the last dregs of summer here for the next couple weeks. Oh, Pray for your pastor. It hurts me. It's really hurting me. Huh? And pray for Colin. He only likes July. That's it. Yeah. 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 And August. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday. (laughs)
1: That's <laughs>